let me read to you our uh, sermon text this morning. It comes to us from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. One of the uh, biblical concepts and ideas that uh, we've talked about a lot the last couple years, um, I'll explain why maybe that's come to the fore for me to talk about, is this concept of shalom. This is concept in the Bible. If you've ever read Genesis 1 and 2, perhaps you get a picture of what shalom would have been like. If you've ever read the last couple uh, chapters in, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, you might get a picture of what ultimate shalom looks like. The idea is when everything that's been made is working together harmoniously as it ought to in service of everything else. There's a kind of flourishing, a give and a take, a back and forth that God is at the center of this and he gives his life to his creatures and his creation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, together give and take to one another and receive and they bring humanity into the midst of this in the creation and everything works right. Everything is abundant Nothing lacks, and there is no hurt or division. This picture is a really beautiful picture, and I'm going to skip through this pretty quick because if you've been a member of this church, you've heard me do this particular reminder a lot the last couple of years. But maybe we've been talking about shalom because we've basically been living through anti-shalom for the last couple of years, especially. It was just two years ago that they announced that there was this novel coronavirus that was going to become a pandemic. I didn't check, but I think it was probably two years ago next week that we canceled our service at the last minute and didn't even know if that was the right thing to do. Almost certain that we'd be back by Easter, maybe. You know, we didn't know anything. And immediately we had all these new terms like distance yourself from other people socially we had to isolate. We were divided one from another. And we had this experience of being alone and separate and afraid. And of course, as you know, over the next months and years, we saw that it wasn't just a physical sickness that was plaguing us as human beings, but that other sicknesses that exist. Spiritual sort of and sometimes systemic realities like racism 
and greed and power grabbing and hatred and pride and outrage began to isolate us even more and divide more and more people one from another. And just about every church that I know of in New York City experienced what we've experienced, which is that so many people moved away from the city. We were isolated and divided from one another as our community left. Those of us that remain are sometimes too tired or exhausted and confused to even know how to invite new people to church or into our community in other ways. And as I've reminded you, it seems more and more over the last year especially, that this division, this these forces and movements of division have led many people, people in our community and in other communities, to more and more lose that center of their identity, that they belong to one another through baptism and through their faith in Christ, and to place other more tribal identities at the center of who they self-identify as, whether that be politics, your economic preference, whether you're conservative or progressive on any culture war topic. And you see how we do this. This is how we build our identities. This is how we get our sense of self, our ego, whether it be from the color of your skin or what kind of flag you wave, what kind of button or sticker or bumper sticker or avatar you put on your social media. More and more we're saying, you know what? This is who I am in distinction to you. You over there. You feel it when you start to think to yourself, yeah, I'm not sure I can do community with those kind of people anymore. I just want to contrast this briefly with the Apostle Paul who was able to say when he was speaking about division to people that were picking sides and parties to be a part of, you can, it's almost an air quote. I mean, it's not really an air quote, but kind of almost to get the idea. He says, I, like, what is Paul? What, what, what am I? All I know is I, whatever that is, my ego, my identity, all these things, I have been crucified with Christ. There is no longer an I who lives. Nope. Christ lives instead in me. See, we recognize how destructive and evil division is when it shows up halfway around the world, a violent and hostile war of takeover by one country against another in Europe, as in Ukraine. But we don't always understand or recognize how destructive division is when we are seduced to participate, it, participate in it at home, when it's our passion, our team, our identity. See, the reason that we do these things, we try to find little corners and a few like-minded people to get in the corner with and, and sort of like cover up is a deep need and desire for safety. We realize we're vulnerable and we want to be safe. We're afraid of things out there. And this fear causes us to seek out safety in the people who are most like us, who make us feel the most comfortable. Jesus talks about some of this dynamic in the world, this particular manifestation of sin in the world, anti-shalom, he uses the word fox for it. We might call it foxiness, not like foxy lady. You know, I know that's kind of an old school way to talk, but you know, there's a kind of foxiness about this way of being in the world. That there is a power at work that roams around, that is not safe, and that seeks to devour, 
and destroy. And I want you to think about this in two ways this morning. Because you are a dynamic creature, you've been made to grow and to change and to constantly be transformed. That's what it means to grow up, and you can't really help it. You'll always be adapting. You'll always be choosing paths. Because that's true, I want to suggest to you that each one of us as individuals and as a community, we are always moving either toward further division and isolation or we can move towards God's togetherness, the unity that God brings to humankind. The first path is the path of fear, the path of the fox. See, the Pharisees come and, and just get the picture here. The Pharisees don't want Jesus around. And we're in Lent, but this is the week before Jesus is going into Jerusalem. He's going to go in. He's there. He's going to leave for a little bit, as he says in this passage, and then come back. And they're going to do the Hosannas, you know, as we do on Palm Sunday. He says, you won't see me again until then, after a few days. But they don't want him around at all because the Pharisees are tied up with King Herod, the ruler of the Jewish people. And King Herod's tied up with Rome, and Rome, and Rome is keeping the Pax Romana for them. And the Pharisees have a lot to lose if, if there's any sort of trouble from Jesus, especially at the great feast that's coming up. And so they come to Jesus and they say, you need to get out of here, Jesus. Herod's trying to kill you. We don't actually know if it's true or not. may have been true, may not have been true. But they don't want him around. They're seeking to get Jesus out, to keep him isolated from their safe little place. And he says to them, you go and tell that fox. He calls Herod a fox. He tells him, behold, look what I'm doing. He basically just says, nothing's going to stop me from this path. I am on this path right now. I'm healing people. I'm performing cures. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Come and find me if you want. I'm going to stick to my father's path of bringing shalom to those in need. Nevertheless, in a few days, I'm going to finish my job. And then you'll see me again when I come back. He also talks about the fact that he knows he's going to perish in Jerusalem. He says that it's impossible for a prophet to perish away from Jerusalem. This kind of poetic statement. He knows he's going to come there as a prophet and he is going to be destroyed. See, foxes come to divide and devour. They come to eat. Herod himself was notorious. Not in, not in any way known for bringing faith and restoration to God's people, but instead to being uh, brutally holding on to his own power and privilege. Letting Jerusalem be occupied by Rome and making backroom deals with the Romans to keep his power. This place, Jerusalem, city of Shalom, this place where all was to flourish, is called God's city. Instead, ruling with an iron fist, ruling by destruction and violence. And so there's this bad news. They bring bad news to Jesus. They're trying to get him to fear and to flee and to run away. And this happens to us all the time. I actually have this written down to go into this at length. I'm not going to do it as much because I think the pandemic sort of did it for us. But uh, there's a lot to say here. One application of this is just the use of technology uh, and our phones and the way they distract us. And most of the pings and notifications you're getting 
have something to do with bad news from the world, this part of bad news, that part of bad news. Uh, I've mentioned this just one other time in years past, but uh, I read most of this, this really interesting book by a journalist, Matt Taibbi, called Hate, Inc., as in Incorporated, Hate Incorporated. Uh, and he kind of writes against the left and the right and the in-between. He's kind of like one of these free guys that got on Substack and can sort of write whatever he wants now. But he, he goes at length in this book just to show that uh, all media, you know, all major media, the news, is mostly designed to get you outraged and sent down into an advertising corner. And they found that the best way to get you to, to go somewhere that they want you to go to spend money is to get your eyeballs with the clickbait and the fear, to stoke the fear, and to tell you the bad stories, to get your attention, to make you afraid. We see how this happens to us all the time. And it happens because it's something that we're already inclined towards. We're inclined toward fear. We know that there are foxes out there. There are things to be afraid of. They're real things. And so we're naturally afraid. And we're tempted to run in a corner and isolate. We don't think that there's anyone who can protect us. Just to remind you, you're always moving towards division and isolation or toward growth in togetherness. I just want to suggest briefly that the reason this is a default for us, the Bible would say, the reason that this is a default is because the first parents in the Bible, Adam and Eve, were in a place of shalom. They were in, it wasn't a city, but it was a garden of shalom. And they chose to reject the protection of their heavenly father and to go out in the light of their own knowledge. And so then they were subject to things like shame and the elements and death. They became afraid by rejecting God. And ever since then, human beings have sought out strong men or strong women to protect them. Or they've sought to, through arming themselves with knowledge or weapons or whatever it may be, to build up their self so strong that nothing can hurt us. And this puts, it, puts, it, puts us at odds with one another. So the question is, if we don't want to choose that path, if we have been living anti-shalom in some way for a couple of years, and we're like, you know, this is not actually great. It's not a great feeling. It doesn't bring people together. Where can we find real safety? Is it even possible to experience shalom in this world? Who will protect us? And I would suggest that there is another path. It's a path not of fear, but of faith. Not of the fox, but of the hen. See, Jesus calls himself a prophet in this passage. And a prophet is, of course, someone who brings news of something that's happening. And Jesus is the prophet, not of bad news. Not all those notifications on your phone. Not of the bad news of the Pharisees or of Herod or of Rome. But he brings good news. Good news from God. Listen to the way he talks about the city of Shalom, Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem. He repeats it, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together? How often, he says, would I have gathered all of your children in that city together? Just like a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I have a job to do. I'm going to finish it. I have healing to bring, 
There is work of my fathers to complete. This is my message, a message of good news. Right in the face of danger and of division and of isolation, I am coming to bring a message of healing and renewal. And think about it, every time a leper was cured, they were now allowed to be part of a physical and human community. Every time someone was healed of an infirmity, they could now walk or be healthy and be in community with people. He brings this new news feed of healing and good news and restoration and communion into the city. He is bringing the shalom to Jerusalem. He still does it throughout history. Even one of the most wicked cities recorded in, in the, in the uh, Old and New Testament, Nineveh, he says, how is it that I wouldn't even care for such a great city? Of course I care for that city. So he sends a prophet to them. It's still true here in New York in all of its glory and its hell, which has both. That he is coming to bring shalom, that Jesus still says, I have work to do. This is the work that I'm about. This is the news that I bring. Restoration and union and healing. He says, I'm not going to stop. The fox can come around, but I am going to see this to completion. I am going to gather children together, safe and secure, leaning on the everlasting arms as we sang. I am gathering people together as a hen gathers brood, her brood under her wings. Evidently, if you Google this, which I didn't, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings in times of great danger. And so Jesus himself is giving us this image as expressing his deepest desire for our relationship with him, his bravery, resolve, and sacrifice like a hen would make in order to keep vulnerable chicks safe. All of these are present in Jesus. And he tells the Pharisees he's not going to stop doing this. Yes, he's headed toward Jerusalem for God's purposes. Yes, he may die. He hints that he will die like all the prophets, but it will be to secure the safety of his beloved. So here we see that God wants to protect and shield the very people who are doing their best to keep him away from them. He's trying even here to gather them in, keep them from scurrying away, and he doesn't want to be deterred. He's not deterred by our rebellion, our brokenness, our sin, our darkness. He's saying, I'm on an unstoppable course towards Jerusalem. And what that means is that he is on an unstoppable course for you, and for me, that he's not going to let any of the obstacles we throw up stop him. Whatever walls we put in place, he will break through. When we do our best to scurry and hide, he will come and find us and put us under the shadow of his wings. When you doubt his promises and you write him off, he is undeterred. He comes like a mother hen to gather her brood that we might have true safety. This path of faith is first and foremost the path that Jesus went on to reach us. But of course, as he remains open to us, he never closes down to us. He doesn't isolate himself from us and run away, even when the Pharisees tell him to. He doesn't divide from us. He comes to unite us, that he's on this path of openness and even vulnerability as he protects us, that he also calls us then to follow the path of faith as we run into his arms to walk with him, to trust that he's protecting us, we become open 
We become open and vulnerable to God and to others. This is quite a number of sentences, but it's a really important passage in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus from prison. I want you to hear it. Think about the path of faith for us. I, here as a prisoner of God, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. A picture of walking. It looks like lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, putting up with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, which is shalom. Because there is really just one body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That picture of oneness, unity, being gathered together in the church. He goes on to say that God gave us diversity in this unity. That's why we have all these different gifts, but these gifts are meant, like Shalom, to serve one another, to help build one another up. For what purpose are you here? What gift do you have? He tells them, your gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to mature manhood, to the fullness of Christ, no longer children tossed about by human cunning or any deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Jesus, who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I spent time telling you what we've been through the last couple of years, and I know sometimes it's cold. Probably some people stayed home because it's cold. You come in here and it's hard. It's hard to believe and to imagine that this is what Jesus is still doing in New York City in 2022. But here he says to us that no matter what foxes are out there threatening us, no matter how much we're tempted to hide in our little tribes and isolate and stay away from one another, that we feel vulnerable and afraid, that he is blazing a trail of faith toward us. And he's opening up our hearts and minds and community to people across every division. That the church is meant to be this new city of shalom, this new place of gathering, this place of safety, where he says, you can come and huddle here. There is room for all of you, and you'll be safe under my wings. We may be doing some of that. We've done that you know, for 10 years in partnering with local churches in the neighborhood. We may be experiencing that more literally in the, in the weeks and months to come with sister congregations merging together and what kind of vulnerability we'll need to exercise and openness and change even that we let incorporate and come into us. Are we prepared to follow Jesus toward more and more unity and safety in his arms? To trust that he longs for you so much and he longs to keep you safe so much that he went all the way through suffering and through death in order to convince you that he loves you and that you don't need a strong man. You don't need to have just tough swagger on your own to conquer everything. That you have a God who loves you like a mother hen loves her chicks. And this matters in a broken and divided world. I know it seems foolish sometimes. It can seem like a waste of time. Church can. Sometimes you show up hoping to hear one thing and my sermon doesn't address what you came here thinking about. But here, again this morning, that Jesus 
was a hen. He died. He had no earthly power. But it's precisely in such a way that his love wins, that it won and that it wins. If we can practice gathering under his wings more and more together, we will become more and more convinced of our ultimate safety and security. One writer says this, and I'll close with this in a last thought, is Jesus won't be the king of the jungle in this or any other story. What he will be is a mother hen who stands between the chicks and those who mean to do them harm. She has no fangs, no claws, no rippling muscles. All she has is her willingness to shield her babies with her own body. If the fox wants them, he will have to kill her first. And that's the amazing good news of Jesus. He laid down his life for you and for me. He is gathering all people to himself to gather us more and more into his image and to bring others into the midst of our flock, into our brood, that we might have more and more life, more and more shalom. Trust him to do this in your life today, in the weeks to come, and in life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.